following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Merry Christmas, everybody. So good to see you all here and to know we've got a whole bunch of you that are joining us online this evening. So, so glad that you're with us to celebrate Christmas. You know, I gotta tell you, um, Christmas Eve is kind of the one time all year that I kind of get nervous. I, I just got to be real with you. I, I kind of get nervous about Christmas Eve, and, and it's, it's not the crowd. I mean, we have more folks who are here on Christmas Eve than typically through the rest of the year, but I love the crowd. I feed off the energy of the crowd. It's, it's not the kids in the room. I love having kids in the room with us. They bring a lot of their own energy, don't they? Um, now, in a few minutes, we're going to have a lot of kids in the room, and we're going to have a lot of fire in the room. And that does make me a little bit nervous, I will admit. And I'm also getting over a cold, so I'm a little nervous about how my throat is gonna hold up through both of these sermons. But, but I gotta tell you, when I really think about why Christmas, preaching on Christmas kind of makes me nervous, it's because there's this story that has lived on for years, literally decades, five decades in my family's collective memory of a sermon that my dad preached at Christmas called No Room in the Inn. And apparently he said no room at the inn a lot of times through that sermon. Apparently he liked to repeat himself the way that I do. And, uh, and apparently this sermon was a real dud of a sermon, right? I mean, it's gotta be something of a dud of a sermon to live on in the collective memory of the family for five decades. This was a really dud of a sermon. And, And so through the years, the way that I could always tell how my sermon went with my mom is that she would say, well, it wasn't a no room in the inn sermon, right? So I have that story that that just sort of lives in the back of my head, and I'm always nervous about preaching a dud on Christmas Eve. So the title of my sermon tonight is No Room in the Inn. No, just kidding. I will not be preaching a no room in the inn sermon ever as pastor of Irving Bible Church. But you know what, we, we often talk or we hear a lot during the Christmas season, this little phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? It's, it's ubiquitous in Christian circles during this time of the year. Jesus is the reason for the season. And there's an important sentiment to that that, that connects with the idea that, that we need to remember that it's not all about Santa and gifts and parties and family, but ultimately it's about Jesus, And yet I've been reflecting about the reason behind the reason for the season, right? The the, the deeper reason for the season, the the reason for Jesus. Or put it differently, why did Jesus come? And of course, theologians write volumes about that question. You can't provide an exhaustive answer in one sermon, but, but I want to hit on a little bit tonight the reason behind the reason, the reason for Jesus. Why did Jesus come? And at least part of the answer to that question is to reveal to you, to me, to the whole world, the very nature and character of God. Jesus came that first Christmas to reveal the nature and character of God. Or or to say it differently, Jesus came to heal your image 
of God. You think about it, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different cultures into this place, all kinds of different religious experience, different denominations, perhaps some of you from literally different religious backgrounds. And, and there may be some of you even here tonight who would say, I don't really believe in God at all. But I would suggest to you that all of us, regardless of our background, culture, denomination, religion, or even those who say, I don't believe in God at all, all of us have an image of God. Even if you have perhaps walked away from the faith of your childhood, even if you deny the existence of God, you have an image of that God, an idea, a concept of that God that you've chosen not to believe in. All of us have an image, an idea, a concept of God. And, and Jesus came, the first Christmas, Jesus came to heal our image of God. I love the way that Paul speaks to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, For God, who, shi- who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. In other words, it's not so much that, that Jesus is God-like, it's, it's rather that God is Jesus-like. That Jesus shows us what God is like. And all of us form our own image, our own concepts, our own ideas of God, and yet it is Jesus who ultimately has come to heal our image of God. And there's three ways that I want to explore that with you tonight. Three ways to understand more deeply who God is based on what we see in the life and the character of Jesus. And the first is this, solidarity in our struggles. Solidarity in our struggles. That is what the first Christmas is all about. In Matthew chapter one, we get Matthew's version of the Christmas story. And Matthew narrates the events there that, that, that Joseph is pledged to be married to Mary and he comes to find out that she's pregnant and he knows it ain't his. And he decides that he's gonna divorce her quietly. He's gonna try to deal with this quietly and, and honorably. But then an angel comes and speaks to Joseph and, and tells Joseph that this child that Mary will bear is from God and gives Joseph the name of which he is to call this child who is to be born. And then at the culmination, we hear these words in Matthew uh, chapter one, verse 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us in solidarity with our struggles. I love the words of uh, theologian Gabriel Fakra, who says this about Jesus. He says, from the genuine pangs of his birth, through his suckling at Mary's breast and diapering at her hand, to the stomach hungers and aching arms in noonday in Joseph's carpenter's shop, to the dusty and dirty feet and sweaty limbs of his Galilean pilgrimage, and finally, the hemorrhaging side and parched lips and agonizing death, he truly shared our common lot, 
identification with us is participation in all the ills to which mortal flesh is heir. Jesus came to be God with us. Solidarity in our struggles. You know, when we're struggling, that word with is surely one of the most important words. On Wednesday of this week, um, the best friend, one of the best friends of my daughter Kathleen was in a terrible car accident. The truck rolled four times. The doctor said the seatbelt saved her life. They had to do a, an emergency surgery and, and she is on the road to recovery, but, but her parents didn't know. All they knew at first was that she had to be care flighted from the truck after it had rolled four times. And so they immediately jumped in the car and drove, but they had four hours, four agonizing hours that they had to drive to go to be with their little girl. And as soon as my wife and our friend Ashley heard what had happened, they immediately jumped in the car and were on the road right behind them. They didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't know what they were gonna find. But what they knew is that when you are struggling, one of the most powerful words is with. They were there to be with those friends in their time of need. And I just wanna say, Dylan, if you're watching, we love you. We're praying for you. We know that uh, you're in good hands and we can't wait for you to get better and be back with us. We love you. When you're struggling, one of the most powerful words is with, and Jesus came to be God with us, showing solidarity in our struggles. Second, Jesus shows us the nature and the character of God through his indignation at injustice. Indignation at injustice. You know, one of the most famous stories of Jesus is um, shortly before he goes to the cross and, and it actually gives us some sense of how Jesus managed to get himself killed because just a week before he went to the cross, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he comes into the temple, this place that is supposed to be the place where people have access to the presence of God. And Jesus sees that they've turned the whole thing into a marketplace and they're charging exorbitant exchange rates. They're, they're taking advantage of the poor the helpless. They're exploiting people. And Jesus is indignant in the face of injustice. And so we don't get in this scene, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We get Jesus, the table flipper, because he is indignant in the, in the face of injustice. And sadly, down through the centuries, there have been times where his followers haven't shared the same indignation. Rather than being indignant in the face of injustice, we've been indifferent in the face of injustice. And yet Jesus has come to heal our image of God, to show us what God is really like. And in him we see indignation in the face of injustice. I love the way that theologian Cornel West puts it when he says, justice is what love looks like in public. And I love those words of my favorite uh, stanza of my favorite Christmas hymn. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and his name all oppression shall cease. 
Jesus came to bring the end of oppression. And one day when he comes again, oppression will be done away with fully and finally. And yet we, as God's people, are called to be those who anticipate that day in our own. That we too should be those who have indignation in the face of injustice. This tells us what God is like. Solidarity in our struggles indignation and injustice. And then finally, that we see in Jesus mercy for our shame. Mercy for our shame. What is God like? He is rich in mercy. There's a story that's told in John chapter eight. Um, I will uh, keep it PG-13 with the young people in the room, but it's a powerful story of a woman who is caught in her most um, deep moment of shame. This is her very worst moment. And she's caught. And she's exposed. She is publicly dragged before Jesus. And these religious leaders who have gone around looking for people that they could... They could find caught in sin, right? They, they become the self-appointed morality police, now make her a pawn in their game because they drag her before Jesus, throw her down in front of him and said, what do we do with her? The law of Moses says we should stone her. But they also knew that the law of Rome said that right, that ability had been taken from you. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. Either you go with the law of, the, of Moses and you deny the law of Rome or you go with the law of Rome and deny the law of Moses, they're trying to trap him. And of course, if you know the story, you know what comes next. Jesus bends down and he begins to write in the dirt with his finger. We don't know exactly what Jesus writes, but he, he stands again and he says, I'll tell you what, anybody who's here who has no sin, you throw the first stone. And then he goes back down, continues writing. Now we need to use our imagination for a moment at what it must have been like for that woman. This is her deepest place of regret, her darkest moment of shame. And she has now been publicly exposed and she realizes her life is on the line. She has to be terrified, right? Her heart is beating out of her chest. What's going to happen? She's looking down at the ground, just covered with shame. But what she doesn't realize is that one by one, after Jesus' words, the, the men depart, leaving her there alone with Jesus. And then we see in John 8, beginning verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She looks around and realizes they're gone. She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus' response to her deepest moment of regret, her darkest moment of shame, is I do not condemn you. Once again, tragically, down through the centuries, while Jesus has led with I do not condemn you, the church hasn't always been so prone to lead with that. 
And we want to be a church that leads with, I do not condemn you. Now, to be sure, Jesus goes on to say, go and leave your life of sin. But his first disposition in the, in the face of her shame is mercy. I do not condemn you. And when you examine your own heart, you examine your own life, you consider your greatest regret. You consider your deepest shame. Your worst moments that you would never want to be drugged out and publicly exposed to all. Just know that Jesus in that regret, in the face of that shame, says to you, I do not condemn you. He lavishes his extravagant grace on us, even in our worst moments. Solidarity in our struggle, indignation at injustice, but mercy with our shame. Friends, Jesus is the reason for the season, and, and let's not forget that. We can get so caught up in everything going on around us and forget to focus our attention on Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season, but what is the reason for Jesus? Jesus came to reveal the nature and character of God to you, to me, to the world. Jesus came to heal whatever image of God it is you hold that is not him. And he shows us what God is really like. Solidarity in our struggle. Indignation at injustice. Mercy for our shame. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, on this Christmas Eve, we contemplate your son coming into our world, the incursion of love into the darkness of this world, and that he came to show us, to show us what you are like, the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus. That face that the shepherds saw on the night of his birth that face that the centurion saw as he hung upon the cross. The glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus. Showing us solidarity in our deepest places of struggle. Indignation at the face of injustice. And mercy for our shame. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Our response to you tonight is just to say thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you. We celebrate him tonight. We celebrate your great love, the light of the world. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.